We're going to be in the book of Colossians today. Over the last 10 months in our Bible study group in Harmony, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Colossians. Uh, we kind of came to the conclusion as we studied, and you'll see if you study it. And by the way, I would encourage you to take some time to walk through the book of Colossians. But you'll find that really chapters 1 and 2 are very doctrinal, doctrine heavy. Paul really focuses on the doctrine, the issues that were invading the church at the time. He addresses the subject of Gnosticism, asceticism, mysticism, legalism, and a couple other isms in there. And really says, okay, here's the problem with each one of these. And then when he transitions to chapter number three, midway through the book, it turns from the doctrinal portion to the practical portion of the book. And Paul's basically saying when we get to verse number one of chapter three, okay, here, here's all the doctrinal issues. Now understand, this is, this is the error in here. This is what we need to focus on. This is what our foundation needs to be built upon. So in chapter three, beginning of verse one, he says this, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So that's kind of that transitional statement that he's making between the doctrinal portion and the practical portion of this book of Colossians. And so verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3 are the foundation of the Christian life. And then he begins in verse number 5 and really begins to walk through the practical daily Christian life and explains and describes what the Christian life should look like. And so when he looks at verse number five, he really begins to describe, okay, here's what the daily Christian life looks like internally. This is what needs to change. He gives us some commands all throughout chapters three and four of here's what we have to put off and then here's what we have to put on. This is what the daily Christian life looks like internally. And then he transitions when later on in chapter 3 to here's what the, the daily Christian life looks like interpersonally. Here's what things, what things need to change, how relationships should, should be. And so he walks beginning in verse number 15 and says, okay, here's what the daily Christian life should look like for each one of us in the church. And then in verse 18, here's what it looks like in the home. And then in verse number 22, here's what the daily Christian life looks like at work. And then when we get down into chapter 4, verse number 2, he says, here's what the daily Christian life looks like in the community. And then when we get down towards the end of, of chapter 4, he really begins to transition and say, okay, so now understanding all of these and what life should look like, what the daily Christian life should look like, there's some relationships that we ought to have with one another. There, there's really what he does is he begins to give a, a biographical sketch of the church. Here are the types of people that every church needs. Now, when you look at our families, you can look at your family, I look at my family, and we look around and we see there's all different kinds of people even within our own homes. Within our extended family, many of you are probably getting together with family over Christmas. It's one of those common times to do so. And, you know, just, just uh, earlier this week, I read an article that described the eight types of people that every family has. Maybe as you go down through this and listen, you may see some of these in your own home or, or in your extended family. But every family, this is what the article says, every family has that crazy uncle. 
Some of you have that one, that's for sure. Every family has the crazy uncle, the one that you can always rely on to bring a joke out when the moments get tense. Or he's the one that can never really be serious, it's always joking. But every family has that super smart cousin, the one that they speak so intelligently, when you open your mouth, you feel like you sound like a Neanderthal. One-syllable words coming out is the boast that you can form, or the judgmental aunt, the one who looks at your plate after you fill it up in the kitchen and head to the table and say, hmm, not enough vegetables on there. Or, or the overprotective grandma, the one who fusses at you and, and wonders what's going on in life, uh, um, why, why, why aren't you eating better, it's things like that that are going on, and you know, the one that even says, why don't you have a significant other yet? Or maybe the politically inclined uncle who thinks every family get-together is the opportunity for a political debate. Or the outsider. Maybe you've been the outsider before where you were just uh, dating your spouse and you went to visit the family, her family or his family at Christmas and, and everyone there is sitting there wondering if you're going to make it. If you're actually going to fit in. And you, here you are as the outsider. Or the grateful aunt that reminds you that everything, everything that you have that you should be thankful for and be thankful that you have warm running water because when I was a child we only had you know, things like that. Or I think every family has this. Every family has the people that just make you smile. At the end of the day, no matter how crazy or no matter, no matter how many crazy people you have in your family or how many awkward moments there were over the last few days of that to get together, you're one happy family that you can't live without. And you know, that's also the way the church ought to be. We're one happy family that we can't live without. That when we're not together, there's, there's a longing to be together again. No matter how many awkward ones there may be, no matter how many crazy uncles there are, you long to be with one another. You long to be with your church family. When you read through Paul's letters and you read through the book of Colossians for sure, you begin to see this. You can tell that these churches were certainly made up of people from all different walks of life, from all different backgrounds, all different personalities, and all different gifts. Something different that each one of them brought to the table. But you know, in the church, as in the home, every single member plays an important role. And so today, as we look at Colossians chapter 4, we'll see some examples of people that every church needs. People that every church needs. And so beginning in verse number 7, we find that every church needs some specific people. And I'll admit, when I first began studying this passage several weeks ago... I was reading through and studying and planning out the lesson plan and kind of thinking, okay, so we get down to verse number seven. Here we are with just a bunch of names. Okay, well, let's just end with verse number six. And the Lord convicted me in that very moment and reminded me, did not I give all scripture? And all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And right then and there, the Lord just convicted me. And I began studying this passage in a way that I'd never really had. Just kind of read through it real quickly. Okay, let's, let's see if I can first pronounce all the names. 
But what we're going to find in this autobiographical or this biographical sketch is people that every church family needs. And first of all, what every church family needs is this. Number one, people that will bear one another's burdens. That will bear one another's burdens. Look with me in verse number seven of Colossians chapter four. The scripture says this. The Apostle Paul speaking, all my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So here Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae during his first Roman imprisonment. And he, he doesn't take the time to spell out all the details of his specific situation, of his imprisonment, of, of his current health condition. Rather, he leaves it up to these two brothers in Christ, Tychicus and Onesimus, to report to the church at Colossae on his current condition. Now, we've got to begin by asking, a couple, by asking the question, who are these guys? Who is Tychicus? Who is Onesimus? Well, we first meet Tychicus toward the end of the book of Acts. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, verse number 4, we find that he was one who had accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey. And this is likely the time that they really got to know one another. And we also learn from here in the book of Colossians that Tychicus and Onesimus, they're, they're ones that carried the letter from Paul in prison to the church at Colossae. We find in this particular passage that here he was with Paul during this imprisonment, specifically there ministering to Paul. Now Onesimus, who may have been familiar with his name a little bit, but we know from Colossians chapter 4 verse 9 that he was, he was a, a Colossian. And he was also the runaway slave of Philemon. Remember the book of Philemon, that short epistle letter. This is the same, the same Onesimus. Now we don't know how, we don't know where or when Paul met Onesimus, but we do know that he was led to the Lord through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And that he was present with Paul during his imprisonment. And then Paul refers to him here as a beloved and faithful brother in Christ. Pause for just a moment and think about the situation the Apostle Paul is in. He's in prison. Here he is in one of, more, one of the more difficult moments that he's faced in his life. Yet even in the midst of one of those most difficult situations he's faced in his life, here are two men that are right there next to him. Faithfully ministering to him. What a blessing it is that even in our most difficult circumstances, God, through the church, through the body of Christ, this family of believers provides us with brothers and sisters in Christ in whom we can share our needs and our burdens. And this is who Tychicus and Onesimus were. For the Apostle Paul, he, they were the ones that he would say, this is my situation, this is my need, this is my hurt, this is where my heart is at, this is what I've been thinking. And he says, brothers, you tell the church at Colossae, you give them an update. Is that not what we are called to be as the church of Christ? Brothers and sisters with whom we can share our burdens with, Galatians chapter 6, verse number 2 reminds us to bear ye one another's burdens. Bear ye one another's burdens. What does it mean to bear one another's burdens? How can we bear one another's burdens? Well, in the context of Colossians chapter 4, 
we see that Tychicus and Onesimus were doing just that. Well, what was it specifically they were doing that was helping to bear the burdens that Paul was carrying? Well, we find, number one, that they, that they were connecting with one another. In other words, they knew one another. They knew one another's condition. They knew the situation they were in. Look again, verse four, uh, excuse me, chapter four, verse seven. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you. Then in verse nine, they shall make known all things unto you, unto you all things which are done here. In other words, they are intimately aware of what is going on here in this imprisonment. They are intimately aware of what is going on in my life, my heart, my mind, and they're coming to share it with you. So they stayed connected with Paul, even in the midst of his trial. They're intimately aware of his needs, of his condition. They knew exactly how to pray for him. They knew exactly how to encourage others to pray for him. To, to put this in a missionary context, Tychicus and Onesimus were Paul's missionary update letter to the church at Colossae. Here's what's going on. Here's where I'm at. Here's what God is doing. And listen, we as people need that community. We need the community that is the church. Brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we are connecting, not just for ourselves, but for one another. See, the only way the church can help bear one another's burdens is if we first connect with one another on a personal level. We engage one another. We communicate with one another. We talk with one another. We stay up to date with what's going on and pray for them faithfully, regularly. So how were they bearing one another's burdens? Well, they, they, were, they were getting to know one another. They were connecting one another personally. But we're also reminded that to bearing one another's burdens, part of that comes by just simply coming alongside and loving one another. Coming alongside and loving one another. Look at verse 4, excuse me, verse 7 again. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother. Verse 9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. He refers to both of them as beloved brothers. It wasn't just a sense in which he was saying that, that, that he loved them, but he's really describing them. See, the word beloved comes from the same root word from which we get the word agape. We know the Greek word agape, which is a sacrificial love. So these were brothers in Christ who sacrificed of themselves for the benefit and well-being of another brother in Christ. No doubt this was not an easy task for them. No doubt that being associated with the Apostle Paul was not easy. Why? Because there were many that hated Paul. There were many that wanted him dead. Nor was it easy for them to travel with him as we find that they did often on some of these journeys. You know, these men are the example of what a Christian brother should be. One who is willing to stick with you even when everything and everyone else is against you. They sacrificially loved their brother in Christ. So bearing one another's burdens mean that we have to be connecting with one another, that we're sacrificially loving one another. And then Paul goes on and describes a little bit further what these men were doing for him. They were serving one another. Look at verse 7 again. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you as a beloved brother and a faithful minister. 
He specifically refers to Tychicus as a faithful minister. The word here is the word diakonos, from which we get the word deacon. So he was known, Tychicus was simply known for being a servant. He sacrificially gave himself and was one who was willing to do whatever was necessary. He was a servant and it showed in how he ministered to the Apostle Paul as he was in prison. How he ministered for the Apostle Paul by carrying this letter all the way back to Colossae. And in how he ministered to to the Lord and for the Lord amongst other brothers and sisters in Christ even upon his return to Colossae. You know, it's been said, and you've probably heard before, that the greatest ability is dependability. And this is what Tychicus, this is who Tychicus was for the Apostle Paul. A dependable brother in Christ who was going to serve and do the work of the Lord no matter what. That ought to describe us. It's how we help bear one another's burdens by serving one another. But he also described him not just as a faithful servant... But look again in verse 7, he described him as a fellow servant. A fellow servant in the Lord. The word here is soon do loss. In other words, it, it is a servant with. He's saying that Tychicus and I serve the same master. We serve together the Lord Jesus Christ. We're serving the same Lord and we're doing so together. Now, if we as Christians are going to bear one another's burdens and have help in bearing our own, which we need, we need to be intimately connected with our church family. We need to know one another. We need to love one another, serve one another, serve with one another. What a joy it was to see over the last couple nights 150 of our church family serving together to help reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The question that we have to ask is when we look back at, at what Paul describes as one who bears one, another, one another's burdens, does that describe you? Does it describe me? If not, why not? And then what will will you do as an individual to change that? May I suggest doing what Tychicus and Onesimus did? Just begin by getting involved. Begin by serving with one another. Then serving one another. As you do, your connection, your love for one another will grow. So then will your opportunity to, to share your burdens and help bear the burdens of another brother and sister in Christ. Listen, every church family needs people that are willing to step up and bear one another's burdens. Secondly, every church needs people that will comfort one another. That will comfort one another. Look with me in verse number eight. Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Look at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister, son to Barnabas, touching whom he received commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Which have been a comfort unto me. So in verses 8 and 9, we see Tychicus and Onesimus were sent to the church at Colossae to do the same thing that they had been doing for the Apostle Paul. And what was that? To comfort them. 
Again, look at verse 8. Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. This is what they have been doing for me, the Apostle Paul says. And they're coming, church at Colossae, to do the same for you, to comfort one another. And then in verses 10 and 11, Paul mentions three more brothers, all of whom were, were Jewish Christians that had been a comfort to him. Well, briefly, who, who are each of these men? He, he, he mentions Aristarchus. Mentions Aristarchus in verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. We know from Acts chapter 19, verse 29, that Aristarchus was one of Paul's travel companions. He'd, he'd been with him on some of those missionary journeys. He'd been there throughout much of his ministry. We know that when the riot broke out at, in Ephesus, that uh, because of um, uh, uh, idol makers, the silversmiths saying, Paul and, and his followers and these men, they're costing us money. A riot broke out. Aristarchus was one of those that was taken captive by those rioters. Acts chapter 27 tells us that Aristarchus sailed uh, to Rome, or with Paul to Rome, which means that he too experienced that great storm, excuse me, experienced that great storm and that shipwreck that Luke graphically described in Acts chapter 27. And now here in Colossians chapter 4, he's describing Aristarchus as a fellow prisoner, whether he was indeed uh, imprisoned by Rome or he was just there with Paul as a servant to him, which is unclear. But what we do know is this. Aristarchus stayed with Paul no matter the circumstances. Through a riot, through a voyage, through a storm, and even in prison, here he is doing what verse 11 says, comforting one another. Comforting one another. I honestly believe this, and I think when we look back at our lives and people that have been a part of our lives that have been alongside to comfort us, that here, Paul, Paul could not have accomplished what he did for the cause of Christ apart from fellow believers such as Aristarchus coming alongside and comforting him. We also find verse 10 mentions Marcus. Who's, who is Marcus? It says it's sister's son to Barnabas. We learn from Acts chapter 12, verse 12, that this is John Mark. We also know that he was the writer of the Gospel of Mark. He was a converted Jew that played a very important role in the start of the early church. He was the cousin of Barnabas, according to Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. We find this as well, that, that John Mark accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey. So here, Marcus, John Mark, accompanied the Apostle Paul on that first missionary journey. When you dig a little bit later in Acts chapter 13, we also find that John Mark abandoned Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey. And, and now when Paul and Barnabas were planning to leave for the second missionary journey, if you remember, we're finding in Acts chapter 15 that there was a little bit of some, some disagreement some argument, some discussion between Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark and, and Paul's saying, no, John Mark abandoned us the last time. We're not taking him this time. So after much discussion, they, they agreed to split. And so Paul didn't trust John Mark. So what did he do? He took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark. But here in Colossians chapter four, we begin to see that there's a change now. It's obvious that Paul and John Mark had mended their ways and that Paul had forgiven him, but apparently not everybody had. Hence the reason that we find here that Paul tells the Colossians to receive him. 
Again, verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister, son to Barnabas, in that little parenthetical note, touching whom ye received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. See, what has happened is that Paul and John Mark had mended their ways, but some of the people held a grudge against John Mark still because, hey, you abandoned Paul in the first missionary journey. And Paul's saying, receive him. Receive him. In fact, we find later in Paul's missionary, in, in Paul's second and last Roman imprisonment, that he specifically requests John Mark. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Scripture says, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee. Why? For he is profitable to me for the ministry. What great evidence of the power of forgiveness right there in that passage. And we find here that Paul refers to John Mark as one who was a comfort unto me, a help. One who was willing to bear burdens. We find also in verse number 11, another individual, verse number 11 in Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision. So he, here he is, the Jew. Jesus was a common name, and Justice was his Greek name. We know very little of him in Scripture, other than the fact that Paul specifically mentions him as one who had been a comfort unto him. What a great truth to think about for just for a moment. You don't have to be somebody that, that everybody knows about to be a blessing to somebody else. God desires to use every single one of us within this body of Christ to comfort one another, to help bear one another's burdens. And thirdly, we find that every church family needs people who are not only going to bear one another's burdens, who are going to comfort one another, but we're going to pray for one another. We're going to pray for one another. Look at verse number 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, what a name to be known by, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Who was Epaphras to this church? To this church, Epaphras was the prayer warrior. He was the prayer warrior. He was the one who was known for praying fervently on behalf of his brothers and sisters in Christ. But, but who was he? How do they know of Epaphras? Well, he was likely led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul while in Ephesus. And from what we can tell from Scripture, he was also likely the one who planted the church at Colossae. He was the one who also likely not only planted the church at Colossae, but moved on. And as we find in verse number 12, he went on, excuse me, verse 13, he also planted the church most likely at Laodicea and at Hierapolis. And Paul here refers to him as one of you, meaning he was likely from Colossae. But he also refers to him as a, as a doulos, a servant of Christ. He's one of you. He's a servant of Christ. He saluteth you. And what is he doing for this church, for this body of Christ? 
He's always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now we find him in Rome with the Apostle Paul at this time. And there he is fervently praying that the church at Colossae would win the battle against the false doctrine that was permeating the church that Paul was addressing in chapters 1 and 2. He's praying that they might stand perfect, they may be mature, they may be complete, that they may know the will of God for their life. And when you look at the words, uh, Epaphras, one of you, a servant of Christ, always laboring fervently for you. The words laboring fervently is one word. And it simply means this, to strain or to fight. He was that prayer warrior. He was the one who was, who was going to war in prayer on behalf of his brothers and sisters in Christ. He knew of the needs. He knew of the situation. He knew of the false doctrine that was permeating the church. And here he is going to war in prayer for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Every church needs prayer warriors. I remember as a young man growing up in northern Virginia... There was, there's two people that I can think of right now that just as a young child, every time that they said, I'm praying for you, I knew without a doubt they were. They were people who you knew if there was a prayer request, if there was a need, you could go to them. You could share it with them. That They would, they would go before the throne of God on your behalf praying for you. Every church needs people that are praying for one another. Needs prayer warriors. We need ones that are bear one another's burdens, that will comfort one another, pray for one another, but we also need ones just simply are going to greet one another. We see, we see some folks here too, in particular in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. We really don't know too much else about their life. There's some information here and there. And we can dig into one of them a little more deeply. And one we, we know a little bit about. And we'll, we'll briefly mention it. But here in this passage, there's not much mentioned about them. Other than the fact, they just want to say hello. They just want to greet you. Your brother and sister in Christ. These two men, they're clearly well known. They were clearly well loved by the church of Colossae. And we find the first one, we find Luke, verse number 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Verse 15, salute the brethren. Just say hello. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and, and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause it to be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. He's saying, just go and say hello. Greet one another. No doubt, here we find Luke, the physician, the writer of, of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. No doubt he was a great comfort to Paul. As Paul dealt with the ailments that he faced and he endured from everything that his body had been through. But here he was for the church at Colossae. He was that friendly face. He was that reminder that someone noticed, that someone cares. Just through a simple, tell them I said hello. Greet them on my behalf. We also hear from Demas in verse 14. Demas, he greets you as well. 
He was serving alongside the Apostle Paul at this point. And yes, we know that later in his life he abandoned, the, he abandoned Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 tells us that he abandoned Paul having loved the world more. He was ready to go out, and we find in verse 11 of the same chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, that Demas is gone, Luke is there, send John Mark. What a great reminder, though, even when the face, when seeing someone such as Demas, what a great reminder to be faithful in the work God has you, even when others fall by the wayside. But what we learn from these verses is that part of the Christian life is acknowledging and greeting one another. Paul, Luke, Demas could not be there in person. So what'd they do? They greeted one another in the only other way that they could, via letter. We've got some convenience nowadays with text and social media and FaceTime and whatever else may be out there in which we can more easily reach out to one another. And even the, more, the, the, the easiness of being able to travel nowadays compared to what they had. So they used whatever means they had necessary just to say hi, say hello, to greet one another. See, Paul made personal relationships a priority in his ministry. And when we look throughout his life, we see that he, he specifically made it a purpose and a goal to go out of his way and to get to know as many people in the churches in which he ministered and the churches in which he served and the churches in which he belonged as he possibly could. In fact, by looking at his writings, you can see that he was, he was quite the friend maker. One commentator went through and counted more than 100 named and unnamed people that Paul associated himself in the book of Acts and, and in his epistles. In fact, in Romans chapter 16 alone, Paul specifically names 26 people. 26 people in which he knew their situation, he knew their heart, he knew their life, he knew what God was doing in their lives. And understand that part of being a church family, part of being a family means going out of our way to greet and to welcome one another rather than to ignore and to isolate. So let's be a church full of greeters where we don't know a stranger. saying, well, there's a lot of people to get to know. Uh-huh. Sure are. Pastor Young, do you have them all memorized? Nope. Am I trying? Yeah. Here's a little secret. If you don't know the name, do what I do. Hey, it's great to see you again. You're going to have to forgive me. Can you remind me your name? And I'll probably ask you half a dozen times. But it's okay. Because being part of a church family just means we're greeting one another. We're acknowledging, we're loving on one another. We bear one another's burdens. We comfort one another. We pray for one another. Number five, we'll look at this briefly as we've already mentioned it. We restore one another. We restore one another. Look at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister, son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. We've already mentioned that the Apostle Paul and John Mark restored their relationship. There had been some disagreement, some argument, some, some parting of ways. 
But it's clear that the Apostle Paul went above and beyond, not just to restore their relationship, but to also help John Mark restore his relationship with others. Those that had known of his abandonment of the Apostle Paul on that first missionary journey. You see, being a part of a church family means that we make amends with those that have wronged us. Somebody hurt us. Somebody said something. Somebody looked at you away in which you thought was, was wrong. Paul says, restore one another. Make amends. It was John Phillips, the commentator, who said this. We can always make amends if we will. We can always make amends if we will. That means it's our decision. It's our choice to take that first step to forgive. It's our choice to take that first step to offer forgiveness. To ask forgiveness. To restore one another. So rather than waiting on the person to take the first step to restore, let us be the ones who take the first step to begin to restore broken relationships. Boy, the application to this in our homes, our families, with our spouses, with our children, with co-workers, with the body of Christ is broad. Every church needs people who will restore one another. Let us be a church full of forgivers. And lastly, every church needs people who will exhort one another. Who will exhort one another. Look at verse number 17 of chapter 4. Here's Paul exhorting Archippus. Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Who is Archippus? Who is he? It's believed that he was the son of Philemon. While we can't be 100% certain, we can be for sure that he was of the household of Philemon, according to Philemon verse 2. But it also appears that now, Epaphras having been the founder of the church at Colossae, it appears now at the close of this letter to the church at Colossae, that now Archippus is, the, is now the pastor. And Paul is exhorting him, take heed. Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. In other words, he's saying, watch out vigilantly for the church at Colossae. I'm writing this letter. I'm addressing the, the false doctrine that's permeating the church. Archippus, step up. Be vigilant. Be aware of these things that are creeping in. Stand strong in the ministry that God has called you to and fulfill it. Regardless of the relationship of Archippus to Philemon, Paul is exhorting him not to neglect the ministry that God has given him. And to stand strong, even in the face of adversity. See, there are types of people that every church needs. Every church family is made up of people with different backgrounds, different personalities, different gifts. But in the church, every single one of us plays an important role. Every church needs people who will 
step up and bear one another's burdens. Who will comfort one another. Who will pray for one another. Who will restore one another. And who will exhort one another. The challenge for us today as a church is to be a family. Our mission statement as a church is that we are a family of believers reflecting Christ and loving others. Let's do that. Let's live it out by bearing one another's burdens, comforting one another, praying for one another, greeting one another, restoring one another, and exhorting one another.